Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. And welcome to this episode of Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, everyone. And today, the show is a little different. Not only are you with me, Armin, but we have invited a guest today, and we're really excited to have him on the show. I think this is going to be a lot of fun and is going to go in a lot of different directions and might be something we do in the future. So if people like this format, if they like having a kind of a guest, whether it's a doctor or an attorney, please let us know at the email address. That's right, Mike. So let me introduce uh, our friend. Uh, Mike and I are really excited to have David Grundy, MD, joining us today. And as Mike said, David is our very first guest to participate in the podcast. Dr. Grundy is a board-certified emergency physician and a a two-tour U.S. Army major retired with combat experience. David is a practicing clinician and a respected lecturer and former assistant professor of emergency medicine. Dr. Grundy also practices as a medical legal consultant specializing in pre-litigation, pre-trial medical consulting in PI, workers' comp, and med-mal cases, as, of course, do Mike and I. So it is a pleasure to have our friend and a, a great advocate for the work that we all do join us today. Hi, David. Oh, hi, Michael and Armin. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a, it's a real honor and um, pleased to be the first guest you've had. Uh, I guess there will always be room for improvement after that, right? So it's great to be here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, David. It's my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Why don't you just take a couple minutes and tell us about where maybe where you're located and uh, a few things about yourself, and then we'll we'll talk about a case that you have, which I think our listeners always enjoy, uh, our attorneys and doctor listeners both. Absolutely. So right now I'm practicing in the Bay Area. I work at a hospital called Seton Hospital in South San Francisco. We call it the Average Joe's Hospital because. Uh, We've got big hearts, but we're always on the brink of bankruptcy, you know. So it's a <laughs> it's a, 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 a wonderful place, uh, and uh, you know, if you're in the area, we'll take great care of you. That said, there are lots of challenges in emergency medicine, which I'm sure our listeners are aware of. So, yeah, about a year and a half ago, I diversified into doing uh, this medical legal consulting work, and that was at the inspiration and under the guidance of Armand. And just really loved it, you know. There's sort of this um, 
Sherlock Holmes aspect to it. You know, really, uh, you can use a lot of different types of uh, analysis and inquiry to get to the truth of what happened. And I love the feeling of uh, really helping our clients. So, you know, some of them really have been poorly served, and we can make them whole, and and that's just a great feeling. So, uh, and uh, I thank Armin for um, introducing me to the field in the first place. Yeah, we're, we're uh, thrilled to have you here, and um, uh, I should say that uh, David, you've uh, been able to share some of your reports to me. You write absolutely great reports, and that leads us into the case that we're going to discuss today. Maybe you could just jump right in. Absolutely, and you know, this this was a fascinating uh, case to me for a couple of re- reasons. To set the stage. It's very common that our attorney clients have uh, plenty of time to get this work done. You know, oh, when do you need it back? 30 days, three months. You know, there's, there's often not a lot of time pressure. This particular case was quite different. From the time I heard about the case to the final resolution was about six days. So the tempo was wow. very high uh, just for a couple of uh, legal issues on the client side. But the basic facts of the case are these. Uh, this involves uh, a man who was uh, a classic car restorer and fancier, and he had been working on restoring a, an ancient pickup truck. So he was road testing it. Uh, it did not have any safety equipment, you know, airbag, seatbelt. It was just very bare bones. And uh, he was violently rear-ended by another party. So he was struck from behind at about 40 miles per hour. Uh, In the course of this accident, he was thrown violently against the steering wheel with such violence, in fact, that he actually broke the steering wheel uh, with his abdomen. He also had a scalp injury and uh, injuries to his knees. And so, appropriately, was transferred uh, by ambulance to uh, a local hospital. You know, this is a very unique situation. First of all, with regard to the time timing involved, uh, also the rarity of the situation, and I would also say, with regard to the response of opposing counsel and opposing uh, doctors, as you said in your report, David, and as I said, and Mike does too, often will say from time to time is that their response to and their interpretation of these injuries was actually incredulous. That, that That's right, Armin. I, I was surprised by the way the thing went down. It's, it's very common when we do this work and we work up the case and we make certain recommendations or identify certain uh, d- uh, injury or disease patterns. And, uh, you know, obviously a big issue is calculating future medical costs. But generally our work product uh, is accepted by counsel and that's the last that we hear of it. And, you know, oftentimes we'll follow up and hear that that, that assisted the attorney client in getting a great settlement. And that's why we do what we do. But in this case, uh, the, the opposing counsel was really uh, pugnacious, let us say. They, uh, they came up with a, a series of theories which um, I had to kind of lay to rest uh, one after the other. And we'll get into those, but uh, they were sort of each one more wild than the first, but they needed specific commentary on my end. So 
getting back into what happened with this uh, injured party, he did go to a local emergency room, and there he was found by uh, the ER staff examined him, of course, and also um, uh, a trauma surgeon came down and examined him in the first instance. So he was found to have a significant head laceration, but more significant yet was he had quite a deal of abdominal tenderness, not unexpected from that violent blow against the, uh, the steering wheel. He was tender, particularly in the right lower quadrant. And on this indication alone, you know, the mechanism and the tenderness, a contrast CT scan was ordered. And this was what we would call a pan scan. So they actually CT scanned his chest and his abdomen and his pelvis, as well as uh, CTing his head and his cervical spine also. So what was that finding? The findings were interesting, Armin. So what they saw, you know, of course, when you do this type of Scan, the, uh, in, in this type of case, the thing that you are most worried about is injury to a solid organ. For instance, a laceration of the liver or of the yeah, spleen, yeah. that type of thing. Uh, gas and fluid-filled organs like the bowel are much less likely to be injured in blunt trauma. But he had a very interesting finding. So, in the right lower quadrant of his abdomen, that is to say in the region uh, of the appendix, there was a cystic mass, consider it like a fluid-filled space, approximately six and a half by five centimeters in size, which appeared to be dependent off of the, uh, the appendix. And it was, uh, it was in that region, and there was a great deal of free fluid around it. So in this context, that would suggest a rupture of the bowel or of a cyst which was connected to the bowel. And, you know, it, it, these findings were highly suggestive of bowel perforation, which clearly has to be uh, surgically repaired as soon as possible. And for this reason, they took him uh, to the operating room and did an exploratory laparotomy to uh, further define what was going on in the first instance and to repair it as well. Was opposing counsel arguing that the, the trauma could not have caused a bowel perforation at this point? Because what's, from what you've said so far, it kind of, it, it feels like a natural uh, crash-related injury. Or, or is, there, is there more that, that came up from opposing counsel or the adjuster? Great question. So uh, it becomes um, more complex even than that. So the first thing that we have to focus in on is what was that cystic structure that CT revealed and that later was seen intraoperatively. And uh, just to kind of cut to the chase, this is a pathological finding. It's a structure called an appendiceal mucoseal. And on the face of it, that doesn't sound so bad. The trouble is that a certain proportion of these are actually tumors. So it's a cystic tumor that is encapsulated in this very durable mm, rind almost. And so the notion was, and this is even what the surgeons uh, thought prior to the operation, here the man has a cyst, a blow to the abdomen ruptured the cyst. And uh, I mean, let's say there had been no cyst and your bowels were ruptured from blunt trauma. It's uncontroversial that you would have... Um, uh, you know, an exploratory laparotomy and a repair of the bowel done. That's just standard of care. But what opposing counsel wanted to say was that knowing that this is a 
tumor, right, a potentially uh, a cancerous structure, they wanted to argue that far from doing this man a harm, he was actually done a benefit by, in some fashion by bringing this thing to the attention of clinicians. So, you know, I had that first thought too, David, yeah. whenever, whenever you mentioned this to us before the show, I'm not lying in that my, my first inclination was it's at least to answer the question. It wasn't that I thought that was the answer, but I had the question that I needed to remedy in my mind of, did this actually serve this gentleman and prompt a diagnosis that ultimately improved his life in some way? And I will also mention that this sounds exceedingly similar to a recent podcast where Armin and I discussed the thin skull rule, meaning that this gentleman had uh, his thin skull was this this uh, appendix mucosal that was primed for rupture. And you now have to address, probably I'm guessing where this is going to go, you probably were asked to address would this have ruptured independent from the crash or blunt trauma? So there's a lot wrapped up in there. I'm, I'm going to let you continue, but that's, that's, uh, I wanted to let you know, I had that same thought that I had to remedy. That's exactly right, Michael. And, and that the way this whole thing evolved is that I had provided a report just laying out the basic facts, the surgery that was performed and so on and so forth. And opposing counsel, uh, uh, off the record mentioned to my counsel that they were going to take this line. And so my first report, we treated as work product, and I generated a second one to address that. This was like version 2.0. And so, you know, what this required is uh, something that our job frequently requires, going into the literature and really thinking statistically about a particular disease entity. And here's the argument that I was able to make and that was found convincing. Come to find out. Hey, David, before yes, you do that, let, let me just jump in for a minute so I can clarify something for our attorney listeners. And that is when this cyst ruptured and it was a, a, a can't, we'll find out. I hope I'm not uh, spilling the beans, but it was a cancerous uh, cyst. And, but what this did is it put this material into the abdominal cavity which uh, typically the abdominal cavity is sterile and there is nothing in it. So now this um, mucousy fluid uh, material is now sitting in this uh, man's uh, abdominal cavity. And David, I'm sure you'll expand on this, but it, it presents the possibility now that this cancerous material can move about. It can metastasize. That's exactly right, Armin. That's a great way of putting it. And you're right. I kind of skipped over that. Let me back up. Tumors can cause uh, morbidity and mortality in a lot of different ways. One is so-called local extension. Perhaps an aggressive solid tumor erodes into blood vessels or nerves or bones or the airway uh, with, you know, the expected consequence Another is through um, secondary effects. Perhaps it makes the person more inclined to develop blood clots. And yet a third, which I think most of our listeners are aware of, is the problem of metastases. So small little pieces of the tumor can break off and travel and can implant in other places, you know, uh, you know like in bone, let us say. Uh, lung cancer can go uh, all sorts of places, brain perhaps. So 
there's an interesting biological fact about these. Um, they're basically adenocarcinomas that grow out of these cysts. They have a unique method of causing disease, as you say. They do not extend locally. They can just slowly grow in size. But if they were to rupture that outer rind bursts, then as you say, they, they uh, just widely distribute this mucinous material throughout the, the abdominal space. We call it the peritoneal space. And those cells can implant in the surface of the peritoneum. And once they set up shop there, they do what they do, which is generate tons and tons of this mucus material. And that leads to uh, a condition called pseudomyxoma peritonei. Basically, the patient becomes massively distended with this mucinous material, and through a variety of mechanisms, that can lead to their death. So that is the feared way in which a cyst like this might lead uh, to your death. And you're right. It's the rupture that's the thing. If they're not ruptured, right, so they're not going to kill you. So I'll play opposing counsel here. Sure. This this was going to rupture in this gentleman at some point anyways, right, Dr. Grundy? Absolutely. That That's the argument that we had to address. And so what I did is I went back to the library, I went back to the literature, and I found that if we posit, as you know, we, we accept as true, that the, 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 the end point is pseudomyxoma peritonei. That's how you get really sick and die. That has a population incidence, at least in America, of one in about 100,000. But these cysts have a population incidence of one in 500, a far, wow. far higher incidence. And so we can see clearly that only a tiny fraction of these things actually do rupture. Most people will go to their grave and die of some other cause having nothing to do with the cyst that they've borne their whole life. And so some of these attorneys, uh, some of our listeners may not be aware how we know that data, but it's, it's often done in autopsy findings. These, these uh, relatively incidental findings get recorded for research. And so that one in 500 is probably a very reliable number. These are very reliable numbers that Dr. Grundy is sharing. And so he's drawing his conclusions, not on, on really theory, but on using, using uh, data from the literature. That, that, that's Fast. exactly right, Michael. There's a minuscule chance that if you have one of these, even if it has cancerous potential, will it rupture and cause you to have, uh, you know, the, 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 the PMP, the pseudomyxomal peritonei. So that was found convincing. And, uh, you know, we were able to proceed from that. And then uh, another hypothetical complaint was uh, was brought up by opposing counsel. And so, as you say, Michael, these things can rupture spontaneously. So what they wanted to say was, well, how do we know it ruptured from the trauma? Might it not have ruptured the week before? It certainly seems improbable, but we need a better way to address it than just our general incredulity. And here, yes. the, um, the telling argument was going back uh, carefully to the surgeon's report. There's an old, an old saying in general surgery, there is no better test than a surgeon's retina, you know, like what is actually seen during a procedure. His surgeon, when she opened him up, she saw that here was a, was a cyst and it had a several centimeter laceration on its surface. 
and it was still exuding mucinous material at that very time. Now, just the biology of cystic structures are like a, it's like a balloon. If you cut a balloon, what happens? It retracts down, right? If a cyst had been opened half a year ago, it would have retracted back. It would have scarred down. It would not be looking like a recently punctured balloon. There also would not still be bulk mucus coming out of it. So on those grounds, we were able to show that that was a pretty frivolous argument, and, and uh, we were able to prevail um, uh, on that argument as well. What a great case. Really, combination of medical decision-making, medical research that, that you provided for this attorney, and just frankly, David, great job. I mean, this is, that, this is fascinating. Thanks, Mike. And yeah, this is what we really, um, these are the fun ones, right? Where we can really uh, just kind of do battle intellectually. It, it, it's great. Um, I, I would say that this is the real value that we try to bring to our attorney clients. And not every case will be like this. Some are much more cut and dry, but, but these are certainly the fun ones. And I think that, uh, you know, we got a very satisfactory uh, uh, settlement at the end of the day. And that's important because this man will have to have ongoing lifetime cancer surveillance, right? I mean, they washed out his peritoneal space, but, uh, you know, he's going to have to have something like a positron emission scan, I don't know, every year or so for some time. And those do impose pretty significant future costs. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to make him whole obviously for the initial exploratory laparotomy and the immediate stuff, but then for some of the future medicals as well. Right. So you were able to help the attorney prove up his uh, medical theory for the case, back it up with, ev with evidence from the medical literature, uh, and in doing so, uh, shoot down some uh, more esoteric, less likely uh, and in some instances, uh, incredulous ways to uh, interpret the fact pattern in the case. Exactly, exactly, Armin. And, and that's where I think that um, with our medical degrees and our medical knowledge, we can, uh, as you say, if there's something that seems prima facie absurd, nonetheless, it really is in our wheelhouse. And I think having, uh, uh, you know, a seasoned and uh, – a physician who is able to do careful research and make a very careful argument, it does hold a lot of weight. You know, I, the attorney himself could have gone to the medical literature and could have perhaps followed this, uh, you know, this train of breadcrumbs here, but, but why should he? You know, I mean, he's got uh, law stuff to do, and, and uh, th this, is, this is where we help. And frankly, I think it's an incredibly cost-effective thing to do to ask uh, a consultant of our type to, to do this work as opposed to going it alone. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Great, great grace. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask David, now that we've been through this case, which uh, was I found fascinating, I'd, I, th I bet our listeners would be interested in hearing a little bit more about how and, and why you went down this path that Armin has, has taught on how to be a medical legal pre-litigation pre-trial consultant. So what, what got you started? Why did you even start looking into this? Great question, Mike. So, you know, I had done some training, like continuing medical education training with Armin way back in the depths of time, 2018, you know, 
pre-coronavirus, the world was so different then. Uh, you know, but I, I found it fascinating, really intellectually stimulating. Uh, I took a course from him in Denver. And then I was very busy with my clinical work and kind of put it to the side. And about a year and a half ago, just a friend who is a PI attorney came to me with a sort of thorny question. And uh, I said, well, I don't know. I'll research it for you, you know, so on and so forth. And actually, I didn't charge him a dime. But then that that really made me think, you know, this is enjoyable. I like doing it. Um, a lot of things I like about it. There's, I think for the physicians listening out there, there's this sort of notion that like, you know, physicians and attorneys are like natural enemies, like cats and dogs or something. And I found that to be exactly the opposite. I've really enjoyed the the style of thought that uh, my attorney clients have, you know, incisive to the point, very logical. And uh, as I've said, I, I like the Sherlock Holmes part of it. But the second case that I did was for this same friend. And uh, long story short, it was, it took a lot of legwork. Like I had to drive four hours down into this like really unimproved, they call it the holler, you know, and in Kentucky and meet this guy who'd been injured, who spoke only Serbian. I had to get translated. You know, it was great. It was like true, you know, Sherlock Holmes work. And uh, then was able to put together uh, an opinion that got, you know, really got this guy an award for some traumatic injuries that he'd had. And after that, I was hooked. You know, it's this idea of, you know, what's better than doing well by, by doing good, you know. So uh, uh, as time has gone by, I have um, – really prided myself on adding a lot of case value and I'm turning cases away. Like if, if a case comes to me and I don't think I can really do that, uh, then I'm more selective about what I take, you know, because I, I would like my clients to be really delighted with what they get. And, uh, and, uh, and I think that's what we add, you know, uh, a treating physician. Not only delighted, not only delighted, I will add, but to be able to stand on it should the case progress to trial, knowing that experts that we could either help them find or that they could find experts to support the, the theories and the opinions that we put in our reports and ultimately result in the best settlement without maybe without having to go to trial, but still being able to know that we're giving them a a very reliable, strong, uh, truthful opinion. So 100%. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I agree. Uh, and and there's, there's one other thing that I would say. I think that uh, obviously we, we occupy a slightly different niche than an expert. You know, if you wanted an expert, I could be your expert in emergency medicine, but, you know, not in gynecology, not in ophthalmology. But what I can do is uh, provide you with really great medical opinion that you can use on the pretrial side. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, you're not going to need that expert. And, you know, I'm faster. I don't cost as much. And I think there's one other thing that in our field we have to focus on, which is to be very client-focused and understand what they need to get to the next screen. Well, anything else uh, on that, Mike or uh, David? No, that it's just been great talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on here. It's been a pleasure, and I, I kind of see this happening again in the future. As I was listening to you talk, I, I felt that it could be it, this could really provide value, and it's just frankly a lot of fun talking to you. So thanks again. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, David, and uh, thanks, Mike, as always. And 
let me say, uh, if you have a case or a comment, you can reach Mike and I at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. If you enjoy our podcast, we would certainly appreciate a five-star rating and uh, maybe even more so. Please tell your friends and colleagues uh, about the podcast, and we look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.